So today is the 31st, and if you're a student of the Word of God, you know the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 31 is about a righteous woman. It's a great one. I wish we could take the time to read the whole one. Someday maybe we'll do that, but I chose verse 30. A woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. You know, and I think we should fulfill that one right now. You, you are a good woman, Lisa. I'm praising you. <laughs> This is where if you were here in person, you'd all look at her and she would roll her eyes, you know, but so I'm just to describe it for you instead. Anyway, a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. I've got a question for you. It's a rhetorical question. What do you think is the most important thing about you? Think about your characteristics. What's the most important thing about you? I've been looking at surveys online about what people out there in the world think is the most important characteristic about them. And uh, so I've got the results of a couple of surveys. This is not my thinking. I'm just telling you what's out there right now. Here's the first one. Most important things in my life in order. Health, family, friends, love, purpose, passion, mental wellness, education, time, water, food, sleep. Hmm. Most important thing about them is their health, their family. Okay. There's another survey. This one is interesting for different reasons. 15 most important things. Experiences. Okay. Wisdom, marriage, friendships. Seems, seems okay, but you know that's a trick, right? Uh, friendships, physical health, mental health. Interesting, mental health is down to number six. Um, Personal passions, communications, self-reliance, security, helping others, personal growth, thankfulness, hobbies, and then spirituality. Interesting. The question, though, isn't what do other people think. The question for you is, what do you think is the most important thing about you? Today, uh, we're going to talk about that, the most important thing about you. And once I make this point, I'm just not going to argue this point with you because what we're going to talk about today is it's, it's not, it, there's really no close second to what we're going to talk about. This is not, I think so. This is not, I'll consider it. I'm going to show you from Scripture, from God's Word, I'm going to prove to you what is the most important thing. A.W. Tozer, who was a great um, theologian, that I, he's no longer living, but I, I like his writings, and he, he was a pastor in Chicago and, and very, very influential. Um, here's what he thought, and I, it's close, I think. He said, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. Um, I'm, I want to drill down even a little further than that. The most important thing about you, the, the thing that has dictated your path up to this point, the thing that will de determine your future, the most important thing about you is your view of Scripture. What you believe about the Bible is the most important thing about you. And today, I really believe that the Lord plans to um, increase with the Word of God, your respect and your, your value and your appreciation of His Word. Psalm 19 is probably the most concentrated, intense teaching in all of God's Word about God's Word. And um, if you want to master a portion of Scripture that will alter the way that you see every other portion of Scripture, here's the part. Master this, Psalm 19, starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, 
even much fine gold, even piles of gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. And in, in, in this short passage, we've got six titles for Scripture. These are different words for Scripture. Uh, law, testimony, statutes, commandment, fear, rules. Those are all descriptors. Those are all labels for the Scriptures. And then these descriptions, there's these descriptions like, you know, perfect, reviving the soul, and making wise and simple, and so on. And then we get six results. And um, so this, this passage lends itself to a very orderly, some of you who are note takers are going to love this because this is a very, very orderly passage to study. And so here we go. Okay, number one, <clears throat> God's word transforms us. God's word transforms us. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Now this word for law here, Torah, um, actually means law for life or rules for living. God's word is the norm. It's the standard by which we measure everything. You know, if you were sitting in the room, I would want you to go, amen. It's the standard by which we measure everything. Amen. Okay, good job. For centuries, you know, men have had their own rules. Some of them have been wise and some of them have been foolish. And you know, some of them have been contradictory. They've never been justly administered. They're always changing these are called the, law, called the laws of man. But holding, you know, you're holding in your hands the law of God. And um, here in this passage, it's called the law of the Lord. And in this context, the Lord is talking about his mastery, his, his, his rulership over our lives. And the law of the Lord is perfect, it says. And you can study this word out in the Hebrew um, I mean, I have spent quite a bit, I spent some, some time on this, and I also looked at this particular passage, no kidding, in 28 different translations. Did you even know there was 28? There's a whole lot more than that, but I looked at 28 different translations. 26 of them translated this word perfect as perfect. Two of them did not. They were paraphrases, and they were somewhere in the ballpark, but the point I want to make is I think that the word perfect is the perfect translation of what the Hebrew word says. It's the law of the Lord is perfect. Now, maybe you're thinking, you know, preachers, you guys say that all the time, you know. Preachers, you, you've heard us say, the Bible has all the answers. Well, no, actually it does not. <laughs> I mean, um, in, in, show me the part or the page in your Bible that explains how I'm supposed to change the oil in my car, right? Okay, or, or take me to the page with the instructions about how to make the corners of your chocolate brownies chewy and covered with chocolate icing. <laughs> There's no page for that. There's not even a page in there for how to cook angel food cake. And if there was going to be a recipe, you know, you'd think... So when we say that the Bible has all the answers, what we mean is not that the Bible is a science textbook and not that it's a cookbook, although some people have tried to do some things. What we mean is that the Bible has answers to, and we find this is a good summary in 2 Peter 1, the Bible has answers to all things pertaining to life and godliness. The Bible is not lacking one single thing that would increase your human experience. There's nothing missing. You know, it warns you about everything that you need to stay away from in its precept and its principle. And, and, and it leads you to everything that will increase your joy and your happiness in this life. The laws of the Lord are perfect. They're comprehensive. They're, they're all-encompassing. They're many-faceted. 
so much that it's capable of reviving the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It converts the soul. You know, every person born into this world is born in sin. And, you know, the scripture describes it another way that different scriptures would describe that condition is we're basically dead to God. Dead to God. We're perishing. Perishing is our pathway apart from the gift of God. And um, although we're dead in our trespasses and dead in our sins, Ephesians 2 tells us that he's made us alive together with him in Christ. In Christ. So how does that happen? How does that actually happen? Martin Luther made a statement at the end of his life, and he said, he said, I did nothing. The word of God did it all. The word of God. And what you're holding in your hands today and why I'm preaching from it today, we're actually talking today about what God himself thinks about his word. And I'm here to tell you today that God is very, very happy with his word. You know, it's not like they're never up in heaven saying, you know, I wish we would have written a little bit more about that. Or, um, you know, they see the newscast and say, oh, we should have made this clear. Now, it's clear. The Bible is clear. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's 100% accurate in all that it asserts. It contains all the truth necessary for human happiness. The law of the Lord is so comprehensive that it's able to totally transform the inner man. And I've seen it over and over again, you know. If you are a saved son or a daughter, you've seen it too, right in the mirror. I mean, the law of the Lord takes um, a dead-to-God Christian-hating heathen person and uh, takes them off the broad road that leads to destruction and sets them on the narrow road that leads to eternal life. And this is happening all the time. It's happening all over the world. It's, it's happening in connect, connection with our church. It's happening in other places in our community. I hear about it all the time. Um, you know, it's, it's what a treasure is this book that the Lord has given to us. It's God, God's spirit gave it and, and he wrote it and he's been backing it this entire time. Okay, number two. God's word gives us wisdom, you know, and it, wisdom. we need wisdom every day. You know, what do I do, Lord? What do I do? Okay, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And you understand here, of course, these words used, the law, the testimony, precepts, commandments. These are terms for scripture here. These are all ways of saying the Bible. Okay, so, and, and, and this one, the testimony of the Lord, this is a picture of the Lord God witnessing to himself, to himself. You know, imagine, you know, now taking the stand, the God of the universe, and, um, and he starts to testify and witness about himself, and he says, this is who I am, this is, this is, this is what I'm like, this is what is true, this is, this is how I'll handle it, this is um, what you need to watch out for, this is, you know, what, what will bring you joy, this is the Lord's testimony. It's a picture of God's witnessing to himself. And it's no surprise that the testimonies of the Lord is sure, it's reliable, it's, it's durable, it's trustworthy. Testimony of the Lord is, our word for it is amen. So be it, it is so, it's true. The testimony of the Lord is so sure that it can take a simple person and make them wise. Making the simple wise. This word simple that's is literally translated, it, it means openness. Now, um, not, not as in broad-minded, 
but this openness is more like along the lines of like, who left the door open? Openness, okay? Um, so the, this is the open or spread out one is what this word means. The simpleton is a person who, who can be easily led astray. You know, they hear something on TV and they go, oh, that's probably what I need. I better buy that. Or they, some latest book comes along or some latest seminar comes along and they think, I'm going to go with that. Maybe that'll make my life better. The simple person just has little capacity to weigh the value in what they hear. You know, we live, frankly, in a world of simple people. We do. They may be sophisticated in terms of their education and even their vocabulary. But they're people who value what is worthless and they disdain what is priceless. People who laugh at perversity and, and, and wince at morality. They, 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 they wink at wickedness and condemn the righteous. People who embrace what's foolish and reject what's wise. This word wise here means skilled at daily living. To Greek, to the Greek, wisdom meant to, to, uh, to know. Learn, 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 learn. Gather information to know. That's what they thought was wisdom. Don't, I, I would suggest it's fine to become educated, but don't go there to lean into that. To the Hebrew people, uh, wisdom wasn't to know, it was to do. Okay? So to the Hebrew, the greatest fool of all was the one who knew but did not do. God forgive us when that's us, and sometimes that's me. Sometimes it's probably you too. Forgive us, Lord. God's witness to himself is so reliable that it can take a vacillating simpleton and make him or her skilled in daily living. And that's remarkable. And that's the testimony of pretty much all of us, right? I mean, you know, I was sort of clueless and I didn't really know what, you know, I was going to do or how to live. And then I got taken out of my family and planted into the, the Lord's family and and, um, and now over years and over time, the distance between the life that I was living and the life that I'm living now, um, I've been spared of so much maybe heartache because now I'm walking in the ways of the Lord and it's so much better. Okay, so God's word transforms. Two, it gives us wisdom. Number three, God's word bring us, brings us joy, brings us joy. The precepts, some passages or some translations say statutes, of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Now notice the order here of this passage. Leave this one up for a minute if you would. The order here is it con- the word of God converts, then it makes wise, and then it brings joy or happiness. Conversion, wisdom, joy. The lost person just wants to go to the front end, the end of the pack. They want to they ask for joy because they don't believe they need to change and they believe they already have wisdom. The precepts in verse 8, maybe you have statutes, um, are actually God's rulings, his prescriptions, his pronouncements, his charges, his precepts. And precepts means uh, divine principles. It, it means God's here in this kind, it's God's divine principles. Of course, the world's got some principles too, right? <laughs> You know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, we can kind of chuckle about that. It's a great marketing idea, but sadly, the person who thought that up faces a terrible eternity if they don't repent and seek forgiveness for that because it's just terrible. You know, what goes around comes around. You know, life's too short. You, need, you only live once. These are worldly principles, and they're everywhere. 
And God's got some principles too. And he wrote them in the book. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right. Hosea says this, he asks, who's wise? Let him understand these things. Who's prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. So if there's a difference of opinion, you know, um, and God says one thing and you say something else, who's right? (laughs) God, of course. You know, if someone is trying to get you to go a certain direction and God says, go a this direction instead, who's right? God, of course. That's why this passage is in here. It says, the precepts of the Lord are right. And by right, we mean 100% accurate, essential in all that they assert. I think we all make mistakes in life and... um, we always don't, don't always get it right. Uh, marriage is, is a common example, and I don't, I'm not picking on anybody. I just would say it's a common example. You know, we start out, it's you and me to the finish, you know. And we mean it, and it's right. And when we get off of that, we suffer the pain of having got off of that. And first off, I want to, just for a minute, because I'm using this as an example, I want to encourage those of you that are in a second or later marriage, um, you know, we don't always get things right, and, um, you know, it's, it, it's okay. Okay, you got it wrong, now get it right. God loves, Jesus forgives, the Holy Spirit heals. Let's go forward now, and let's just get it right. So the thing, about, the thing about divorce is the statistics for a divorce, when you remarry after a divorce, they double. And then if you divorce and remarry again, they double again, and they just kind of, it keeps growing like that. And that's because God's precepts are right, and they don't change. We are the ones that have to change. So we have to get it right, and you know, one man with one woman for life, and if you got off that somehow, accept God's grace and get on it now. Get it right. Lisa and I um, are um, headed towards our 45th wedding anniversary in, um, later this summer. I can tell you, when we got married... Um, can I tell how old we were? <laughs> She's rolling her eyes. So we were 18 and 19, both about to go to 19 and 20. So we were just babies, right? Sorry to all of you 18 and 19-year-olds, but you, 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 yeah. So <laughs> stop digging, Terry. But we had no idea what we were doing when we got married. I mean, we, we had no idea then. We see marriage so differently now than we did then, and and uh, those 45 years have been almost completely years of happy marriage. There was a, a brief patch there where the world tried to and could have torn our marriage apart. And listen, I have absolutely zero judgment in my heart uh, against any people who have, um, have had a divorce. And I, I have no mark. I do not have the market cornered on being perfect by any means, okay? But I love one of the most important things in my whole life is the rightness of my marriage with Lisa. <laughs> and staying with that and, and, and focusing on that and treasuring that. God's word taught me that that matters. And it's right. And it gives me joy. And I know there are many people here listening today who are single or you're single again or you want to get married. I, I get that. 
This is just an illustration of this passage, the point of this passage. And it applies to every part of our lives, to our finances and to our ethics and to our work habits and to our friendships. Okay, so God's divine principles set a right path through the maze of life that causes our hearts to rejoice, to rejoice. I really don't know how people find joy without the Lord. I really don't. Um, I'm the, it's just, there's just too much without the Lord. And if that's you, I just encourage you to turn from your sin and embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It will change your eternity. What are you waiting for? It's free. You should do it right now. You should do it today. At the end of the book of Luke, these two disciples are walking down this road to Emmaus, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears to them. This is after he has been crucified. So all of a sudden, he appears to them while they're walking, and here's what happens. And We pick this up in Luke 24, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, that's a way of saying the Old Testament. That's what, that's, Moses and the prophets is the whole Old Testament to you and me. He interpreted, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Awesome. This is awesome. Really, Terry? Why is it awesome? It's awesome because, because Jesus is telling them about himself from the scriptures. You know, maybe you'd think, I, I would love to sit down with Jesus and have a cup of coffee. I got some things to talk to him about and some things I don't understand. It'd be, be great, though, just to have a nice, friendly chat over a cup of coffee. I, yeah, that'd be great, you know. Um, I, but if you do, bring your Bible, because that's what this says, okay? What this says is that even the one who is the Word of God did not disclose himself apart from the Word of God. You want to know about Jesus, you get in the Word. You get in the Word. And he knew he wasn't going to always be with us. And, and he wanted everyone to see that the Scriptures were reliable and that everything they asserted about him are true. And then the story goes on, and he vanished. And after he vanished, what the Scripture says, he says, did not our hearts burn within us while we walked with him? And the passion, that delight, you know, you can't get that anywhere else but from the Scriptures. Okay, God's word transforms, it gives us wisdom, gives us joy. Number four, God's word dispels the darkness. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Enlightening the eyes. This word here used, um, you know, we see orders, some say commandments. These are defined decrees in God's word. This is where God says, do this and, um, and you get that, you know. And it ties together cause and effect. It ties together human activity to outcome. You know, that's where you see those. And the word pure is the, the it's the idea, it's kind of a complicated, it's the idea of Im, uh, absence of impurity. It's, it's absence of any visual impediment. Um, but the emphasis here is, 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 is pointing out the clarity. Um, there's, there's no blockage of any kind. It's, you can see it perfectly. You know, go find the very best diamond you can. <laughs> I can't afford that good a diamond either. Uh, but go find it, and this would be, find the very best one in the world, and there are no inclusions in it, and this exceeds that in terms of its purity. It's pure. But its characteristic isn't that it's invisible. It's not that it's transparent. Imagine a really, really dark place. Lisa, Lisa and I, you know, I've mentioned we bought some property and built a home closer to the church, and, and as we were building it, it bordered on a 
section of Capitol Forest, which was big, tall trees, and our property line was there, and there's the boundary line, and it was big trees. And at the property line, it turned on a day that was sunny. It, at that moment, it turned into a black, dark forest. It was dark in there in the middle of the daytime. And I was up there a couple of times at nighttime. It was scary pitch black. It was so dark. And, um, um, you know, imagine being in a dark place like that and you turn on a light or something, there's some light. You know, um, this verse is teaching us that, that where everything else is dark, the Bible is the light. You know, and the scriptures elsewhere tell us that the whole world is dwelling in darkness in, in Isaiah 60. Um, and the only light in the world is the Son of God, you know, whose, whose light, by the way, comes to us through his word. Today, the rest of the day, tomorrow, wherever you go, you're going to take that light with you. You know, I might think, well, I don't feel like that. Well, it is like that. <laughs> It actually is. You take the light of the world with you. You know, it's so dark without the Lord. Psalm 119, here's what verse 105 says. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Here's what Jesus said. I'm the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, so far, we've, we've had these summary statements. The law of the Lord is so comprehensive, it's able to totally transform the inner man. God's testimony about himself is so reliable, it can take the vacillating simpleton and make him or her skilled in daily living. God's divine principles, are they set a path, right path through the maze of life that causes our hearts to rejoice. And now we have the commands of the Lord are so crystal clear, they bring light to the darkness in every human heart. God's word dispels the darkness. Okay, number five. We got two more. We're almost there. God's word provides stability. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Question, is fear a good or a bad thing? <laughs> you know, now virtually every place you go, um, every news article online and every website, there's an opportunity for you to add your comments. Back in the 1980s and 1990s, um, we started out with online bulletin boards where people could add comments. In about 2003, remember MySpace, and by 2005, it was the most, um, uh, the largest social network, and now we've gone to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And these are all about expressing ourselves, comments, all these comments about ourselves and anything else we want to comment on. Here's a proverb for you to consider, 21 verse 23. Whoever guards his mouth and keeps his tongue, keeps his soul from troubles. Whoever guards his mouth keeps his soul from troubles. There's a tree in Lahaina. I like to go there. I haven't been for a long time. Huge tree. It's called the Banyan tree. It's a big, huge tree. It takes a city block. And um, if you go there during the day, you'll hear a few birds chirping. But if you go there just before sunset and sit down under the tree, birds from all over the region will fly in there. I think they nest there overnight. And as they come in, they're all chirping. And it, gets, it goes from a chirp, 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 chirp. Pretty soon, it is this, this, this loud, so loud and they're all chirping, and they don't stop until all of a sudden it's dark and it goes silent. But they're so loud that if you're sitting with someone and they're on the bench next to you and you shout at the top of your lungs, they can't hear you this far away. The birds are so loud. Chirp, 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 chirp. Today, everywhere you turn online, everybody feels the need to chirp. <laughs> 
Whoever guards his mouth and, and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. <laughs> Some people have an eyedropper full of understanding and a fire hose full of confidence, right? You know, if you want to verify that sometimes on your places of, of um, where you post, why don't you post, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Post that phrase sometime. <laughs> somebody's going somebody's gonna to shout you down. Hey, fear is never a good thing. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Okay, I mean, thank you for quoting 2 Timothy 1.7. I'm aware of that verse. Are you aware that Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? And are you also aware that God's word is perfect? So somehow those two passages have to reconcile with each other, right? I'm not trying to be condescending. Here are some definitions of fear. Um, I looked up online by different sources, lots of them out there. The unpleasant feeling when you think you are in danger. Okay. An emotion induced by perceived danger which causes behavioral changes. Okay. Well, here's one that I think is good for our context. The attitude of heart that seeks a right relationship with a fear source. So you hear a bump in the night, your response of fear is, you know, I want to have a right relationship with whatever that is. <laughs> or, or you're not paying attention, you step off the curb, and all of a sudden you are brought to presence by hearing the sounds of a tractor trailer honking an air horn, and it doesn't sound like it's five feet away from you, and it's really loud and insistent, and you want a right relationship with the source of that horn. So you hop back up on the curb. Fear's a bad thing when, when it keeps me from ruling over the things that Christ has asked me and told me to, to rule over them. But fear is a right thing in reference to God. He says so. It's not only a right thing. Fear is a first thing. That's what the Bible's saying. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10. One of the problems with Western world watered-down Christianity, which I hope you're not a member of, um, is that we want to hear about the love of God without any foundational understanding of the fear of God. You know, we're trying to raise kids in a world using the world's principles instead of according to the principles of God's word. And the Bible teaches that fear is the first thing. Kids do need to learn to fear their parents. I mean, because parents are trying to protect them. So, so when you call out to them, stop, turn around, they get out of the way um, and they don't get run over. They move immediately because they honor your word. And you just saved their life. I know First John says, perfect love casts out all fear. So we start with a fear relation, but that's not where we end, right? Right? Okay. So, you know, you say, well, I'm not in a fear relationship with Jesus. Well, I'm not either, but I'm very, very thankful I have a fear foundation. I mean, I'm thankful I have a foundation. I don't live there, but I have that. And that's what we're talking about, loved ones, when Psalm 19 says the fear of the Lord is clean. Clean means without blemish, undiminished, constantly uncompromised. It's without dilution. No, no, there's no defilement. It's full strength. It's not, it's not no half measures. God's word is full strength. It's not diluted. It's, it's not diminished. And, you know, I get to this topic of fear, and it's, 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 a, it's, it's, it's politically charged. It's socially charged. I have no apology for you today about God's word, and you shouldn't either. And if you've somehow 
bought into the world's decision that fear, fear is bad, all fear is bad. It's time, loved ones, to to believe what the Lord has said, to, to repent of that mindset, and to get back to the kind of stability that God's word provides. Fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And God's word gives that kind of stability, enduring forever. You know, how badly an anchor we need in this day of drift that's going on in our culture. God's word is a source of stability when circumstances are shaking our world, and that's happening right now. Sadly, I think a lot of Christians have bought into you know, the big offer. God loves you. Jesus, Jesus provides, you know, so say these little sentences and you'll be fine. You know, even the best churches in America have people in them that are, are really not following the Lord. People who don't let the word of God have victory in their lives. And there's no increasing pattern of, of righteousness, no tenderness towards the moving and the things of the Lord. They're churchgoers, but they're not Christ followers. The question people need to ask about their own salvation is this. Am I one of his own? Am I one of Jesus' own? Here's what he said. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. How's that going? And they follow me. That means when he speaks, I listen. When he says, come, I follow. He says, left, I go left. Verse 28, and then I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. That's the deal. Thank you, Jesus. I'm one of his sheep. You know, I'm a sheep. He's a shepherd. The Lord's my shepherd. I'm following him. Not perfectly, but increasingly better all the time. I'm not what I could be. I'm not what I should be, but I'm not what I was. And there's this growing pattern And if you don't have that happening in your life, loved one, it's time to get back on your knees and and back to wherever it was that you got off the path of faithfulness to God's word. The fear of the Lord is without blemish and brings stability to every person in every generation who turns to it. Okay, number six. We're just about done. God's word promises justice. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Um, The summary statement for this one is, the judgments of the Lord set a path of justice through human history that rights every wrong and silences every rebel. That's what's meant by the phrase, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The word rules, some translations say judgments. Um, These are God's verdicts. These are his his pronouncements. It's, It's... It's the decisions that God's made about what is right and what's wrong and the consequences that are connected to those things. And true tells us that there's no error, there's there's no fiction, there's no falsehood, there's no deceit here. It's perfect justice, altogether righteous. You know, there's a day coming when every human who has ever lived will come together, Every, every human act comes to light and... Every event in human history is going to be revealed before the great white throne judgment. And every person there will say that the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. You know, altogether. Everything he did was perfect. Everything we did, well, you know, we might have done some dumb things. We might have done some pretty awful things. But even the way he responded to all of that was perfect, perfect. 
He's awesome and, and altogether righteous. You know, the things that he decides and all of the things that he demands are righteous altogether. And all of that, he has written down in his word, and so it's no surprise that this is where we land today. That more to be desired are they, the words of God, than gold, even much fine gold, even piles of gold. His words are better than piles, of, better than Fort Knox, better. Sweeter than honey and the dripping of the honeycomb. Sweeter than that. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Let's pray. God, what a gift you've given us in your word. And as we get our sea legs and get on bubble where it comes to our, our view of your word, help us, Lord, to get this part right. There will certainly be parts of your word that we don't understand. We ask for your spirit to guide us in that. Help us to understand the things and to grow. It's not like somehow now we're going to all of a sudden be an expert in all of the scripture. But let there be an openness, Lord, in our hearts that when the spirit is speaking to us, there is fertile ground for your words to land and for your words to grow and for your words to thrive. Lord, we are constantly bombarded with words and, and, and ideas and concepts from our culture that would lead us off of your word. Help us, God, to have the courage and the, 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 the desire and the righteousness, Lord, to reject those things somehow with love. Grant to us wisdom in the words and in the smiles that we need in those moments to care for the people who would lead us whether they know it intentionally or don't, that they would lead us off, off course, Lord, so that we might keep our feet on your path and somehow bring people along with us. Lord, we pray for mercy and grace. Fill us with life. And Lord, for people who are, who are present and hearing this today and don't know you, we pray, God, that your spirit would draw them, that they would understand that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by you, and that all who call on the name of Christ will be saved. Let there be something in their soul that responds, who knows what tomorrow may hold, so that their name might be written in the Lamb's book of life. Lord, draw them. And God, pray, I pray that, Lord, that you would put people in their path to help them with their walk with you. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.